Welcome to Donnacloney Parish Podcast. If you want to know more information about the parish, how to support us, or for other social media, please go to www.donnacloneyparish.co.uk. Thank you. This morning's reading is from Revelations chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. It's entitled, The Seventh Trumpet. The seventh angels sounded their trumpets, and their word... There were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become, and the kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord, God Almighty, the one who is and the one who was become you have taken your great power and began to reign. The nations were angry and the wrath has come. The, t- this, the time has come for judging the dead and rewarding your servants, the prophets, and the people were revere your name, both great and small, and destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was open and within the temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls of thunder, and earthquakes, and a severe hailstorm. Here in the tradition. It doesn't feel like it now, particularly with all the anniversaries, but Remembrance Sunday was not always a popular event. After the Second World War, as memory began to fade, the practice of gathering on Remembrance Day started to decline. And then in the 1990s, as British forces were active around the world, it brought the reality of war back into our living rooms, back into our homes. And so the two-minute silence was reinstated. And most recently, because of the significant anniversaries, which this year we saw in May, the 70th, 5th anniversary of VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. And also because we see those heroes who fought on our behalf, die away. We have now have an added reason to keep their memory alive. But I also think there's another reason why Remembrance Sunday is so important. It's a channel for spiritual and religious expression in a world where those opportunities are becoming rarer. Perhaps the relative peace and security that we live in today have shielded us from the difficult questions that war brings And so we've made us less inclined to raise them, to think about them, to seek answers in God. But then Remembrance Day comes and those questions are raised for us and they're unavoidable. We read the stories of heroism and courage and sacrifice and we feel deep down that these acts must be honoured, must be kept on being honoured year after year. And then there's the destruction and futility of war that leaves us searching for meaning and hope beyond conflict. And then there's questions about us, about how our not-so-distant relatives were drawn twice, twice just within one century, into worldwide bloodbaths, which make us wonder who we are. And so thinking about war pushes us to God. Now, for most of us, those 
two subjects, God and war, were very far apart. But actually, not so long ago, those two things were intertwined. In fact, as you read a lot of those speeches made during wartime, it's hard, in fact, impossible to separate God and war. We may feel a little bit awkward speaking about it like that now, but actually for our forebears, it wasn't a weird thing to speak of God and war in the same sentence. Listen to these words spoken to the nation by George or King George VI before D-Day. He says, after nearly five years of evil and suffering, we must renew the, that crusading impulse in which we entered the war amid its darkest hour. We and our allies are assured that our fight against evil and for a world in which goodness and honour may be the foundation of life of men in every land, that we may be worthily matched with the summons of destiny, I desire solemnly that to call my people to prayer and dedication, we're not unmindful of our shortcomings past and present. We shall ask that not that God should do our will, but that we may be enabled to do the will of God. And we dare to believe that God has used our nation and empire as an instrument for fulfilling his high purpose. I hope that through the present crisis of the liberation of Europe, I hope that there may be offered up earnest, continuous and widespread prayer. At this historic moment, surely not one of us is too busy or young or old to play a part in a nationwide, perchance a worldwide vigil of prayer as the great crusade sets forth. If from every place of worship, from home and factory, from men and women of all ages and many races and occupations, our intercessions rise, then please God, both now and in a future not remote, the predictions of an ancient psalm may be fulfilled. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will give his people the blessing of peace. Words spoken to a whole nation. Pray, pray before we send men and women into the field of battle. Pray, pray before lives are lost at war. I wonder how you responded when we read those words. They make me think of an opportunity for thanksgiving, not just for those who gave their lives, but also a thanksgiving to God. Thanksgiving for answering the prayers of a nation, and indeed a whole world by his powerful hand, protecting us from a totally different course of history. But I guess when we think of war, we are also reminded of all the problems of war. When you look at what happened in those prison camps in Poland and Germany and Austria, we tend to think of the lines of good and evil and into black and white. We are good, they are bad. We're on God's side and they're not. Is that how it was or is? Last month, I was reading of a German sailor called Siegfried Schaefer. His ship was sunk by British fighters off the North Atlantic and he cried out to God in prayer to save him and he was saved. What's going on there? And of course, that speech of the king, he spoke of 
God's high purpose. What's God's purpose in war? And then there's the problem of the legacy of war. This year we celebrated VE Day, the end of war in Europe. Problem is, that's not the end of war in our world. The Kurdish Turkey, the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, Somali civil war, the insurgency in the Maghreb and North Africa, in Iraq, Boko Haram in Nigeria, in the Mali War, Libya, Kashmir, drugs war in Mexico and Colombia, southern Thailand. We could go on and on and on. I think the Bible can really help us this morning. Let's turn to that reading that Ian Freeborn read for us in Revelation 11 and to a verse that we may have heard if we've listened to Handel's Messiah. Verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. You wonder, don't we, what is God's purpose? Where will it end? The Bible answers, it is all heading towards Jesus Christ. Well, let me explain that under two headings this morning. Because there's going to be a change of kingdoms and there's going to be a change of kings. First of all, a bit of context. The book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It's full of pictures that it can seem weird with dragons and everything else. It's strange and often people interpret it in the wrong way. But it's a book about blessings and judgment. It's apocalyptic. And it is a vision of blood and smoke and beasts. And all it's trying to do is to peel back the curtain on an otherworldly reality. It was written for Christians through the time to help us. By thinking back to the first readers might help us to think that through because it was written to Christians under persecution and they were going through martyrdom. And the whole way that the book works is this. It said to these early Christians, look, you feel very weak and vulnerable. You're powerless. And with all these political forces like Rome around you, it makes you seem as if you're tiny. Well, you need to remember, Christians, that great though they may be, there are greater powers at work in your world. Spiritual forces. And those forces are all under God's control. And the good news for you, Christians, was whatever you suffer, Whatever you're suffering, it's part of an even greater plan, which will ultimately be won by the Lord Jesus Christ, who you are serving. So the battle belongs to the Lord. And in Revelation 11, verse 15, it's kind of like that in a nutshell. In one verse, it's the conclusion of the seventh trumpet. John the Apostle wrote this. Here's heavenly voices proclaim, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And for this verse in Revelation, what we've done is we've, we've, we've gone through a time travel. We've jumped to the end of time. This is what it's going to be like at the end of time. And this is what it's saying. There will be a change of kingdoms. The kingdom of the world is going to become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Messiah, his Christ. So authority is going to change hands. We know how that works. Because we've been talking about Brexit for ages. Haven't we? 
who's going to have authority over the United Kingdom. And actually, wars are fought so that authority can change, aren't they? Think about when Hitler annexed Czechoslovakia. It became the German protectorate of Bohemia and Moldovia. Or sorry, Bohemia and Moravia. When Nazi Germany fell, those territories then came under the Allied forces. The lines of authority changed. And so it's going to be at the end of time. But it's not going to be a change in earthly rulers. The kingdom of the world is going to be transferred to God. Everything is going to be put under his authority forever. Now, if I was going to ask you, where do you think the world is headed? Depending on how you were feeling, you'd give me a whole pile of different answers. You might speak of Brexit or climate change or what's happening in America at the minute. Well, all those things, all those things, this passage tells us we're going to end up under God's rule, under his king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not a new belief, but it is a very comforting one, especially for those who find themselves oppressed by human rule. Maybe it's an unfair government, or they've been persecuted, maybe even an abusive relationship. And all of this keeps going on in our world. And sometimes the persecutors are caught and brought to justice, and sometimes they aren't. But ultimately they will. And actually that is something we want to happen, isn't it? We want all the wrongs of our world made right. We want all wrongs to be judged. Let me show you something. Hopefully on your screens you have a picture of the high altar in Westminster Abbey, London. Where kings and queens have been enthroned since Norman times. Now if you've been to Specsavers, you'll see just at the top of the high altar. You'll be able to read what is written above the altar I'm going to help you because it's very, very small print. It says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. What's so important about that? Well, as kings and queens of the United Kingdom have been enthroned, as kings and queens of England have been enthroned, behind them in gold writing is this verse that reminds them. Look, your authority here is temporary. Your authority is given to you by God. For all your power, for all your glory, for all your might, there's a higher power to which you are accountable. It's a comforting truth, but it's also a challenging truth for us. See, if you read the inscription in the Abbey, you'll actually see it's a mistranslation for all the gold and everything else that uh, all that work they put into it. Just to have a bit of a mistake was a bit of a bit of a mess up. It says there, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And so we think of authority in capitals, of, uh, in governments and corporations, but the Bible doesn't say that. Look down at the verse again. It says, the kingdom... Uh, Revelation eleven fifteen says, The kingdom of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That means everything will come under the Lord's authority. Everything, including you and me. And that's really important because from the start of the Bible, from Genesis, we see that we're created by God to live under him. And that makes him our creator king. 
but not only to live under him, but to rule under him. We are his co-rulers. And for now, he's given us some part in ruling over his world to care for it. Like little kings and little queens, if you like. And this command to rule over this world has all the seeds, if you like, if you like, of both glory and of destruction. Glory because it offers us the possibility of living in harmony with the one who created us. Living in harmony with one another. Living with recognition of God's rule that we live under his authority. But it also offers the possibility of rebellion. Of turning on the one who made us. Of taking his authority and appointing myself as the only ruler of my life. And so here's the thing. At the moment we are free, we can rule how we want. But it will not be like that forever. God will come again to call us to account. He will call you and he will call me to account. See, there will be a change of kingdoms. At this point, we may have a number of questions. First one being, will this ever happen? Perhaps this was just some man on on an island having a hallucination here who wrote Revelation. Well, actually, I think the answer comes down to the resurrection. See, regular people, as far as I can tell from our graveyard, regular people stay dead. Jesus died, but three days later he raised. He was raised again. All the people knew that he had died. Nobody was able to show his body. Many people, over 500, saw him raised from the dead. And actually after, people died for sharing the truth of a resurrected Lord. So we can see his power and his authority over this world is real. Okay, that may be the case, but how on earth will all of this happen? Well, the Bible's answer is that Jesus is coming back again in all his glory. And if we can believe that he came once to a stable in Bethlehem, we can believe that he can come again in all his glory. Well, is this actually good news? Well, that brings me on to the second point, because it really depends on who's going to have the authority, isn't it? Whether this is good news or not, whether you believe God is good or evil. Because there's going to be a change of kings. There's going to be a change of kings. Election fever has been high in America over these last few weeks, hasn't it? Because they've been voting for their president. Maybe by the time this goes out online, you'll know who the president is. Still, when we record it, they're still tallying all the votes. And you hear people express their views. I voted for Trump. I voted for Biden. Then you have the people who say, well, I didn't vote for any of them because they're just as bad as each other. That's really sad when people despair about politics. But here's the truth about every human leader. None of us are perfect. There will always be disappointment with every human leader. But I hope we can see that the change in authority in Revelation 11 verse 15 is not to another human leader at all. Let me read that verse again. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He will reign forever and ever. See, God the Father has appointed his son king over his kingdom. And I guess a lot of people have some sort of notion that some higher power is going to wrap up history. 
But actually, can we see that this is a lot clearer than some vague notion? This is what we Christians believe. But better still, we actually know who God's Son is and what he will be like. He walked this world. And it was like he was given a preview of what his rule would look like. One in which the sick were healed. One in which the dead were raised. Where rich and poor were loved equally. Where races weren't polarized but were united. There's so much I could say about that. It was a ministry of reconciliation and restoration. Of blessing. Because Jesus is a good and perfect king. And it's great news. It is great news because it means that the one who will ultimately judge and rule us is a good and perfect king. We need to realize that there's going to be a change of kings. So where does that lead us? Just a few thoughts as I close this morning. The first one is this. Find out about this king. If you've been thinking, Brian, well, this sounds a bit weird to me. You've never stopped to think about the whole of history heading towards the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find out more about it. Read one of the biographies or one of the Gospels of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Pick one up, read it, and ask, is there any evidence that this man is such a king? And look at what he's like. See how good he is. Look at the one in, 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 in the whose hand one day you will end up. And if you want to look at it further, well, then why not read a gospel with me or George? We're very happy to read the Bible with you. And then get ready for this king. If Jesus is our ultimate king, we need to pledge our allegiance to him. A book that I've been reading in preparation for this Remembrance Sunday was called With Those in Peril by a naval chaplain called Frank Lovell Pocock. In the Second World War, he was sent to Singapore in 1941, just before that city fell to Japanese forces. And this is what he said to his congregation on Christmas Eve. Tonight, I put it to myself and I put it to you our first priority is not the Japanese closing in, nor the blazing oil tanks, or even our own lives. The first priority is that Jesus Christ should be born and installed and established and enthroned in every heart here. I have no other message for you. He loved you. And he gave himself for you. Receive his word and receive him. Receive his forgiveness and receive his presence. God be with you all. Amen. If that was true, on Christmas Eve in Singapore in 1941, it's true for us today. The first priority of every person watching, watching this Remembrance Sunday service is that Jesus Christ might be established and enthroned in your heart. I wonder if you placed him there.
Perhaps that's something you have started. Then what can you do to get ready? What can you ask yourself? Which area of my life am I holding out as an independent state? Which part of my life am I still keeping to myself and not letting it come under Christ's authority? You see, we do that because we're a little bit worried that our good and Jesus' rule are the same thing. We don't trust him enough. You think that if I give this over to Jesus, it's going to go badly. Well, you and I need to examine our hearts. He's a good king. In fact, he's the perfect king. So what are we waiting for? What are we afraid of? Let's give all of our lives and wills over to him again and again and again. Because Jesus is God's king. And he will ultimately be the king over everything. He's a good king. Let's remember it someday. Let's get ready for his return. And so as we close, we need to get ready for a change of kingdoms and the change of kings. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. One last image before I close. This time last year, the American rapper Kanye West released his ninth al album. It was called Jesus is King. And for the release, he went to Times Square in New York. And all around Times Square was this blue, writing, blue uh, lining with yellow writing. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. It was written all around Times Square. One day, that will be entirely true for every part of our world, including us. Are you ready for it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can look forward to the future without fear. That the Lord Jesus Christ, the good king, the perfect king, will be king forever and ever. We pray that you would help us to believe that his rule is good and to be ready for his return when he comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. Thank you for being with us today. We pray that this service has been an encouragement to you, a challenge and a help to build you up in your faith in Christ. We've now ended our church service and we'd be delighted if you can join with us again. Thank you for being with us in Donna Cluny Parish. God bless you.